Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Okay, so I'm online with Ben, which was last week we were actually in person at Microsoft Ignite, and now we're back to normal working standards of... You're in, you go to the office, so I'm working from home, right? I do. I'm, I'm one of those people that... Uh, goes into the office a lot. Uh, I live close enough to campus that I can actually do it without it seeming like a hassle. I don't know. It's nice for me to have, have that separation between what happens at home and what happens at work. And so for people who don't know who you are, who, what do you do, Mr. Ben Summers in Microsoft? Yeah, I am the, uh, the director of the Teams and Microsoft 365 platform marketing team. And so my job is to make the technology that all you PMs build out there seem as awesome and appealing as possible. Uh, it's something that I've done for about five and a half years and uh, in various roles, right? I started out as the graph PMM, as you probably remember, uh, and then sort of built that role into the, 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 the role that I have today. I have a nice team now and uh, I've really liked doing this job. So it's it's been hugely fun for me. It's been a pleasure working with you. Like when I first joined Yuna's team, I think you've been enrolled for a little bit. Yuna was like, I really need you to go to help Ben do more with the graph side and, and so we've worked together pretty closely this time and it's been nice to see you kind of grow outside of just graph and into like the broader much 365 dev stuff and we've had many a good beer that probably could have been entire podcasts chatting about our opinions on where things should go and what things are working and what things aren't but today I thought we'd get you on to talk about what your opinions were of the Ignite announcements last week I mean if people really want to know the official official lines they can just go listen to the breakout. Which what number was the breakout code? BRK32. BRK32. There we go. We got asked this question last week, and I really like your answer. And I was like, I, we should have just click record during the Ask the Expert session. What for you was your favorite announcement from last week, and and why? Why was it your favorite? Yeah, yeah. I think I think last week my answer was, and I, I hope it's the same uh, this week. But my first answer was <laughs> uh, was live share. I I am definitely somebody who believes that there is a lot uh, that we can do with live share, and a lot that I'm already seeing people do with live share. So you know, for those of you that don't know, uh, this is sort of the developer's version of uh, of what we have to in Teams live share. You know, when you can share a deck or something like that. This is this idea that you can actually turn the surface of a meeting, the, the canvas of a meeting into an interactive experience so that, you know, for most of you all, uh, when you're sitting in a hybrid meeting these days, you have the opportunity to watch other people uh, show you things on screen. And you're really a passive, uh, you're really a passive participant in that meeting. But with LiveShare, everybody potentially becomes an active participant within a meeting. And, you know, we showed this in the context of you know, a CAD scenario. But I think the thing that was interesting is that in the run-up to Ignite itself, we started to see a lot of different people sort of come to us with solutions that were super interesting and super creative and thought way outside of anything that I'd ever thought of for this technology. And, you know, the disappointing thing was it was just too short an interval this year between Build and Ignite to really have people build everything that they wanted to build and be ready uh, to bring it to stage on Ignite, at Ignite. So I'm actually anticipating that like get build this year, we should have some really cool stuff. That's sort of what strikes me as the most interesting right now. How do I think about that? Like, so if I think of live sharing, like I use PowerPoint live sharing because it allows me to not share my desktop and just share the PowerPoint app. And I actually find that 
I don't have as many issues of just sharing the PowerPoint window because it's showing it to the other users in presentation mode rather than me sharing my desktop and or sharing a window and doing that. What can other people do with it? Because that, to me, it sounds like I'm the one driving the presentation. People can see the presentation moving as I change slides. But you're already talking more, like in a CAD scenario, you're talking more about everyone's co-authoring in it like Microsoft Whiteboard or something. Yeah, it's sort of a whiteboard on steroids. You know, it's it's the idea that you can have every participant in the meeting up to some ridiculous but limited number of, say, 100 people or something like that, uh, co-authoring, co-inking, uh, you know, rotating, for example, the object in the case of the demo that we showed, and everybody sort of looking and sort of participating in the meeting simultaneously. And so you have this idea that instead of all these sort of thoughts coming together, in a sort of a serial fashion, you have this sort of parallel, this this sort of amazing parallel uh, collaboration that can take place uh, in the course of a meeting. And and I think the other thing that's actually really nice about it too is that you can live share a fi your SaaS app and bring it right into the surface of a meeting, so that rather than having to pick specific things that you'd like to expose from your SaaS app into, say, uh, you know, a standard Teams experience, you can bring the whole thing in. And I think that's a really, it's a really powerful idea. And it makes it so that like the barrier to becoming something that's really able to participate fully in a Teams experience sort of drops for everybody. And now you can, now you can use this technology to have really cool interactive experiences. Uh, so I, I'm really excited to see what people are going to do with that actually. Yeah. And I think it is like from looking at how you implement it and seeing it done internally, it's low barrier in terms of in comparison to other parts of Teams development, which is like building a bot is probably the most expensive thing I think you could probably build in, in Teams. The personal apps are a little bit lighter and message extensions are probably in between. And so one of the things we were talking to a partner about last week was this notion of this is a good entry way into Teams just to see whether your customer base has got enough appetite to be using your app inside of Teams. And then if you start seeing good usage of this, then you can start going, well, actually, we could probably look at a bot or a message extension or a personal app and all the other hooks inside of the Teams platform. And, you know, this is just kind of like that gateway drug for your app to be in there for for the rest of your, you know, customers using it and, and not leaving the Teams experience. Yeah, yeah. I think that's completely true. I think that's something that we're going to start seeing and, and even see it work in, in some really interesting scenarios, sort of more B2C scenarios that we're starting to see. There are actually a number of really clever ways out there that I expect to be able to you know start talking about the next in the next couple of months here. That'd be great. There's obviously a big push on Teams. There's a lot of momentum at Microsoft with the growth of Teams usage and so forth. And even from the blog post that you authored, which I'm guessing your team has helped you author the different sections that they own, um, the luxury of that now having a team to help you rather than back in the days when you first started, it was uh, you wrote the whole thing. There seems to be a lot of news outside of Teams. And so what's your take on that balance? Like, Because you work with all these product groups, you work with us in the graph, you work with the Office team, you work with the SharePoint team, you work with the Teams team. But when you look at Microsoft 365 development and where the innovation is, what's your take on that basically? I think the thing that's starting to happen that I that I see as really interesting is that there is always going to be a lot of development in a lot of different places. We have a huge legacy ecosystem. We have a huge footprint. But you're also starting to see a lot of convergence, right? I, I think that there are places where a lot of ideas are starting to come together more than maybe they have in the past. Um, 
you know, Bill, we were talking about this new SDK and manifest that allowed you to build a Teams app, but oh wait, that same Teams app works in Outlook and it works in it works in the new Microsoft 365 app. So, or look, here's a card, but now that card unfurls across, you know, all these different surfaces in, you know, that link unfurls into a card in all these different surfaces. So what you're starting to see actually, if you sort of take a step back from all this, is that there is actually this sort of common set of experiences that are actually starting to be put forward by all of these things that is going to make it so that, you know, you're actually reaching users with a single app or a single experience in all the different places that they're working in the Microsoft 365 suite. So yes, we have a lot of people working in Teams, but yes, there are also a lot of people still working in Outlook. And if you want to make sure that you're including everybody, keeping everybody in the flow of work, well, there are really easy ways now to write apps that with really no additional overhead and no additional, so so to speak, tax, you can now write apps that allow you to address all those people uh, using a single manifest, using a single code base. And that's only something that's going to be, I think, even more and more common over the next six to 12 months. I know that just what a couple of days ago, we offered the preview of, you know, the early preview of using the same manifest for uh, that JavaScript SDK, that same JSON manifest to, uh, you know, to start pulling your legacy office add-ins into into this same sort of code base. So there's a lot of really interesting stuff uh, that's actually out there that's, you know, going in this direction that's bringing everything together. So that's that's sort of how I look at it. You know, I I was really surprised actually, even myself looking at Ignite and thinking like, gosh, how many places are we surfacing cards and unfurling links and doing this and doing that where, you know, before there were all these different ways of doing it. And so it was neat to see. Yeah. I think as a dev, like seeing that streamlined contract of like how you do it is consistent across the different product groups is actually really nice. And it was funny. One of the conversations in the RC expert around adaptive cards was, you know, I remember David Clow and others in, and we'd had them on the show five years ago where, you know, they were pushing adaptive cards and it was really mainly just in Outlook at the time um, and some Windows stuff going on. But now obviously Teams has adopted it. SharePoint has adopted it with Viva Ace cards. We had a noop on last episode talking about that. It's become very like a standardized thing now across all these experiences to use adaptive cards. And I think the big call out was, you know, if you haven't touched adaptive cards yet across any of those different experiences in, in the dev model, then it's probably time if you consider yourself an M365 developer just to get comfortable with the fact that this contract with adaptive cards is happening across all those different experiences, whether it's Teams, Outlook, Microsoft Loops, you name it. Yeah, well, I mean, and I guess we should probably also mention, you know, the Power Platform is now offering cards, right? They don't call them adaptive cards, but I think that, you know, over time we'll still probably converge around this concept. But uh, the fact that they are also embracing that format and thinking of it almost as like an applet, I think they were calling it, but this idea that it's this little surface of UX in which you can complete tasks and do very simple things. Like it's obviously something that's very interesting and powerful. We have them in a lot of our experiences that we're dog fooding around the business. Uh, they're actually really nice. I mean, they they make a big difference in sort of just keeping you in your flow of work and, and, and helping you get stuff done faster. So I do like that. I, I'm psyched to see that we're sort of really pushing that and really getting traction there, you know? Yeah, it is really cool. And actually the, I mean, we've been incubating in a private preview for a while now, adaptive cards in Microsoft loop components. And, you know, we showed on stage the SAP HANA demo, but priority matrix and smart sheets and 
Main Decisions and Zoho was the other brand yeah, right. that had them. And I was excited to see that we we're announcing the public preview of that for next quarter and, you know, the first quarter of next calendar year. So that I think I'm excited to see because that's a pretty flexible tech. I, I, you know, we've been using Loop app internally as dog food. And obviously that, that's that been announced that people will be able to get hold of that in private preview soon and public preview next year. And some of the scenarios I'm using it in, at first it was kind of like, it feels a bit gimmicky. I can just go into the web page and do it there. But even for me with my giant screen I have, I do find myself living in Teams a bit more and not going outside of the chat conversation and just like referencing those those adaptive cards straight from that that conversation. And so that aspect of it, I'm really excited to see more in that space too. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And then I don't know. I, I mean, your team has been building a lot with uh, with some of those partners too. I know, so I, I know that that's it, it's probably something you're very familiar with, and the feedback uh, that they're getting. How are they? How are they looking at it? I think some of the things that they've heard is that the conversion rate of the click throughs of the cards, if they're sending a card in an Outlook mail or a Teams message, the conversion rate of approving whatever the task is or requesting data on a particular part of a workflow um, or business process, their conversion rate is significantly higher than if they just sent an email, which was just text with a, you know, the traditional way, which is a click on this hyperlink to go into our application and then sign into the app and fill in the information there. And I think part of it's because often when you get sent a hyperlink in an email and you click on the hyperlink, you're getting the full experience of that application. And sometimes it's not clear what you're actually being asked of or you have to go back to the email and read the email to really understand it. Whereas with the cards, the cards really streamlines to, no, we just need to click this button either yes or no based on these these bits of information on the screen or, oh no, we need your zip code or we need the customer's opportunity number or whatever it is. And so it's just basically dumbing things down for the user in a way that they don't have to think. And, and that was definitely the, the feedback we got from the priority matrix team. It is incredible to think about it. Like you click on one of those links uh, and you go to the native SaaS app and this whole big experience opens up. But the reality is you're really only being asked to do one or two things. Right, right? right. And so the idea that you could actually take those one or two things out and put them into something that was directly like in an, in the body of an email or in, you know, line in your chat, like it almost seems so obvious that you can't believe that, you know, that it's, that it's, that it's a radical change, but it is in fact a, a really, really nice thing to have, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think it will just be table stakes that you have to have these things in your applications. And, you know, there was partners we were talking to last week where it was like, hey, look, we're not expecting you to build your entire app inside of Teams or inside of Outlook. Build the, the parts of your application that make sense to build into our products where and I stay in your flow. I know it's a little bit of a cheesy tagline, but I know you guys love using it. But it is true, right? Like I don't have to leave Outlook or Teams and hop around 100 apps. And you don't have to you don't have to change your device either, right? You can be like, okay, the same card is going to present itself contextually on my iOS device or my Android device, or it's going to present itself in my Win32 client or my browser. Like, it does that. It knows enough in its own right to simply do that for you. So you sort of get the benefit of that too, right? You're writing this this piece of code that's just going to work in all these other places and all these other contexts. And that's, I think, also something that's that's really nice about them too. It sort of meets you in this sort of hybrid work way, right? It it it, it brings the solution to you uh, rather than you having to go to it. And I I really like that. That's that's also really nice because you know we all have our 
in the old world, there was always this thing like, oh, if I click on this link to do an external approval, like, will it go through my VPN? Will I wind up on some website that isn't like optimized for my device, et cetera, et cetera? You know, and then you don't do it, and then you wait till you get back to the office, and it, it can be really crazy, you know, and it can be really time consuming. So that that is something that I, I definitely noticed we were leaning a lot into at Ignite. I was really happy to see that. The other thing that was top of mind for me, and I know you're quite passionate about this space as well, is just on the the ecosystem of trust that we have within M365. And for me, like working at two external ISVs that built on top of this platform, it was certainly an area that, you know, could be troublesome at a certain point in the customer sales cycle of selling the product to an M365 customer. Back then it was Office 365 or BPOS. And there's work that the team have been doing around tooling to help partners and certification. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and what announcements were made at Ignite that you feel are further helping customers in that way? Yeah, I mean, I think this, the, the announcement sort of fell into two categories, right? The, the first was like, if you're a developer, we're building this thing called the App Compliance uh, uh, Automation Toolkit. And that's really just a way for you to, you know, take an app that's built in Azure and to start putting it through our compliance testing process so that you can see exactly where uh, it is that your app needs to improve, what sort of things you need to do in order to make sure that you are, you know, up to standard on the, you know, the, the things that we're going to look at when we want to make sure that your app meets the kinds of things that we want to certify, right? So we can say to our enterprise, enterprise customers, hey, this is a certified app. And, you know, I, I think that I actually have to say that I, I look at the, the, the compliance toolkit as sort of a great first step. It's like one of these things, it's in preview now, it's going to do about you know, 30 to 40% of what you need to get to uh, a full compliance report. But you can print it out. You can get all this good stuff. You can show it to people. It's sort of a great sort of an asset for you to have, not to mention something you can use to manage your app through its life cycle. But I think like I'd like us to see, because I, I think it's important enough that I'd like us to see how we can make this easier and easier and easier and how we can make compliance sort of part of what you do when you build an app. I know that other people's ecosystems are very strict on this in different kinds of ways than we are. But, you know, I think we have an enormous obligation, but also an enormous opportunity from an ecosystem perspective to say that, like, we can help you produce apps that, you know, really should be trusted by our customers, really should be thought of as, you know, built with the kind of quality and compliance in mind that should give people sort of peace of mind that, hey, these are actually really great things to use. And, I just see it as essential, right? I see it as essential as like our enterprise partners trust us and we want to make sure that the ecosystem, uh, you know, can share in that kind of trust. And so the easier we can make it, the better. But I think this is sort of our first step. Well, it's not our first step, but it is a step on that big journey to get to a place where compliance really is just something that we really help you do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's, I mean, essentially, it's a pre-assessment tool, right, before you get to certification, but it's giving you that baseline of, like, what are you missing? And in the ISVs that I've talked to that have gone through the whole certification program, I think a lot have said it can be quite overwhelming to see all the different checks that we do across the various different parts. Some are software-driven, some are more culture within your organization-driven, and there's down to, like, rolling certificates in your Azure AD applications to – you know, like how you're storing your data at rest in Azure uh, or other cloud systems. And, you know, the more the tool can give you that quick green, yellow, red 
type status reporting on where you're at, it gives you a good baseline of like, oh, we're actually not too far away from being able to go get a certification. If you know this thing's checking forty percent and we're pretty much all green across the board there, then you know they've got they got a little bit more confidence. It's not going to take as long as they think maybe to get all the way certified. And so I do like the fact that we're working on that tool. And I mean, the time I've seen it being built, the checks have got even bigger, like 40%, I think is the highest number I've heard internally. But I know when they first started this thing, it was like 5% of the the check. So you can only imagine it's going to improve and you're going to keep getting closer and closer to like a full spectrum of how good's my app from a certification perspective. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it, it is and it is like you were sort of saying, like, it's not just giving you radial agreements, giving you links to the places that you need to go to actually change configurations if it requires that or if it recommends that you do, do different things. So like it is it is something that actually can really help you not just analyze, but actually, you know, mitigate uh, certain things relatively quickly. And I think that's a pretty nice benefit as well. Yeah, we had um, Cameron Dwyer is going to be coming on the the show to talk about his experience and uh, around certification and obviously Martin Seifer from Office at Work he was on the show just recently talking about the certification and how much of a difference that's made on the discussions he has with customers on building trust so that they will deploy the app into their their tenants and use it in production so yeah that it's great to see more focus on tooling to help with that certification process which I think was a good call out there too. Right. Well, I mean, we know it's well that like the easiest thing for an admin to do is to simply turn the ecosystem off, right? To turn the store off and say like, uh, let's just, you know, generically do this. And I think that for us to be able to say like, well, wait a second, we actually have apps that have gone through really rigorous testing and that are, you know, meeting standards that we stand behind. Like that's, that's a big deal for us. You know, that is a big deal. And so I, I do know having, I've talked to Martin about it too. So like, I know the value that he places in that. I know other partners that I've talked to, uh, who are also doing this, and it's part of their calling card too. You know, it's part of how they talk and they pitch their app. They're like, certification is a big piece of that because they have to get through that. You know, they have to run through all those hoops with with the IT admins and the folks that are watching out for the networks. And people should be watching out for their networks. There's, there's this is how it is, you know? So I'm going to pick on you a little bit here. Yeah. I see in your blog post this, word, this term called fusion development. And I really thought Microsoft was stuck on the term citizen developer. So... Is this replacing citizen developer, this fusion development term, or is this a, a test to see what kind of reaction you get in this blog post and you slid it in there? Well, I didn't, I, I didn't coin it. Uh, I'll, I'll say that much. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know exactly where it slipped in, but it was something that we uh, started actually hearing from our uh, colleagues over on the power platform side of the business. And it's actually like if you're if you're thinking about pro dev in the space that my team manages, it's actually a pretty nice term because I think, you know, there's this idea that you can, uh, you can go and do certain kinds of things for yourself as a citizen developer to automate processes that you understand. But I think this idea of fusion development, which is essentially bringing, you know, a professional developer together with subject matter experts is a pretty powerful combination of, of, of resources. And now you're saying like, okay, you can actually build something that based on your knowledge and this developer's skills is theoretically a durable, scalable solution uh, to something in a way that it might not have been had it been, you know, purely a citizen developer thing, but also it might be closer to the pin the first time had it, than it had it been a purely professional developer thing. 
it's it's actually a pretty nice turn of phrase. It's one I liked. And I think that if I didn't think that it worked terribly well in the context of, you know, what I was thinking about uh, for Ignite this year, I, I wouldn't have used it. So it really did. Uh, it really did resonate. And I think it's something that doesn't feel so far off from, in some cases, how development should work sometimes, where you really do have the subject matter experts close. I just think that it's more in the context of doing this with low-code tools that you then sort of, you know, customize as needed uh, if you're a professional developer. So that's 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 how I think of it. And uh, yeah, so poke me all you want on that particular term. I like it. I stand by it. <laughs> 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 yeah, I figured I had to pick on you because I'm assuming Twitter's gonna now the the video content's all done. People will start picking through all the blog posts and seeing if there's any clues or hints in the directions of things. But I, I do think from my days as an InfoPath developer all those years ago, where you know business users could build these InfoPath forms and they get to like eighty percent of the way there, but then they were calling the developers to like close that last twenty percent gap. I, I do think that. Power apps and pro development is going to have a similar kind of bridge of 80 20. And, you know, there's definitely ways you can do it in Power Apps with Azure functions that, you know, are doing the breadth of the work and managed code is running. But, you know, the business analysts can do the majority of the, the rest of it. So, yeah, the fusion term I think is pretty cool from that, that perspective, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, it works well. It, it, it's a good one. Anything else you want to give me a hard time about? Uh- no, just just that one. Yeah. I mean, that was just, you know, I love the, the buzzwords, you know, not being in marketing for five years now, it's very easy for me to throw things across the fence like that, right? Mm-hmm. I want to just pick on one other thing in the blog post, which I, it, we've had some interesting conversations outside of work, may have been including beverages on this, this topic, uh, around uh, Microsoft graph data in general and this whole notion of kind of like the analytics usage scenarios of, of taking that data at scale. And I know you've been deeply involved in kind of where we're going strategically with this in a company. How do you explain this to customers and what's the strong story you've heard that's like super compelling based on that, the use cases of kind of taking that kind of data and, and using it in like an analytical scenario? Like I know that there are some use cases that I probably actually can't talk about because I know that that the kinds of things that people are doing with this, since they're sort of building a lot of IP on top of it, are are things that yeah we can't exactly just say. But I guess the way that I would describe uh, it is this: like everybody has everybody that has Microsoft three sixty five essentially has the equivalent of a digital twin of their organization, uh, living as it were in. Uh, their tenant, right? All the signals, all the data, all the, you know, the files, the people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, when they're working, where they're working, the rooms they're working and the files they're working on, everything like this is being, you know, is is being uh, captured within their tenant. And the amount of insight that you can get out of that kind of information, especially, by the way, if you pair it with say information from other systems of record is incredibly powerful. But there are certain challenges to doing that, right? There are challenges around how do you extract that much data? How do you make sure that it's secure? How do you make sure that it's in a format that you can actually work with easily? Well, you can get at all that data through standard APIs, but if you want all those other sort of capabilities and you want to make sure that you can you know, get, get at that data, get at it in scale, get it securely, et cetera, et cetera, you want a different set of tools. And so really what Data Connect is, is that different set of tools to get at all the insights that you could potentially uncover by looking at that digital twin of your organization over time. 
what we're trying to do with it is sort of say like, hey, one of the ways that you can build great apps, one of the ways that you can uh, really sort of build the kinds of things that you need to do to transform the way your organization is now going to work is to look at all this data and see what's changing, understand what's really going on in your organization uh, by doing this kind of analytics. And we actually see that, you know, this is what companies are actually trying to get at now. They're trying to understand things like, hey, how are my information protection boundaries working? Um, You know, how are people interacting with one another in this organization as, you know, as I try to compare what is really happening in my organization towards what the, say, org chart says. So these are things that we're actually starting to template out for people so that they can at least start with these templates and then extend them into the specific needs of their business. But we want to make sure that there's ways for them to accelerate. But these are the things we're seeing people do right away. And so there's the reasons why we're like building those templates now. But broadly, like that's that's the value of this is like where else in the world are you going to get sort of this much information about the way that your business like really works, right? The things that are really happening, uh, you know, in, written in, in bits and bytes. And that's, uh, you know, there's a lot to that. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. Uh, there's a lot that we have to be responsible for. But it's an amazing opportunity to look at things in a way that we really uh, haven't looked at them before. So that, that's what we're looking at there. Yeah, and I, it is really exciting. And I think there's things that we do in our own experiences, like Viva Insights and where we're looking at kind of information and presenting that to people as, as our own product. And I think that's spurring some pretty core cool innovation externally as well where ISVs are picking those things which is going a lot deeper than what we do in our products but then there's another pivot and I really like this work that Jose Barreto is doing which is like Project Archimedes right which is the the notion of and actually you can get this template right now in um, in GitHub where using all the new SharePoint sharing data sets you can start to see is there classified information being shared to external users and how many users? And um, it, it's just really cool to think about the different scenarios of all those things you thought you really would like to know the information, but before it was just considered too hard because the data was just too hard to bring together. That now through these data sets in uh, Data Connect, you know, makes those scenarios a lot, lot easier. And 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 it's simple as putting it in Power BI with a few charts that are connected to each other where you can pick the domain and just see you know, highly confidential documents for this particular domain that have been shared with externals. Um, it can really help to drive that business decision in, that are going on around security kind of matrix of your organization. And so I'm fascinated in the next six months of what scenarios people come up with. The, the transcript data set is one that really excites me. Being able to easily get all the transcript information for each meeting and joining that with external data sets, I think is going to be really, really neat. I, I can see a lot around CRM systems and, you know, for every meeting, when was the last time we mentioned Fabricam or Contoso bikes or whatever, and then mapping that in the CRM so that you can be, these are the meetings where we've talked about this customer, I think is, uh, you know, such a compelling way to bring that, bring that data together. Yeah. I, I think the other thing that's really compelling about the data, the thing that I find incredibly fascinating is is the fact that it's not point in time data either right it is it is data that extends over time and so when you are modeling things out uh, and when you're training those models or visualizing that data you're not just visualizing point in time data you can actually 
you, you can actually create visualizations and watch them evolve over time so that you can see, for example, when leaks are, you know, when data is escaping out of your boundaries. Uh, uh, you know, there's all these things that you can do or when conversations or topics are spiking uh, within your organization. And I think that's a, a kind of an amazing, like, it's an amazing thing to sort of have this record that allows you to, to that allows you to do that as well. Right. And and when you start training models on that and stuff like that, it becomes it becomes a little mind blowing. But it's but it's but it's really, really powerful and interesting. And, and seeing what people are starting to do with this is, as you said, like over the next few months, it's going to be very, very cool to see, you know, as the, these things start to really surface. Because, I, I mean, I think the other thing people probably are sort of thinking about this is like it's hard work. Right. It's not easy to go in. This is sort of a new space for a lot of people to go in and start looking at, but the interest is there. And that's, I think, what's what's really uh, sort of compelling right now. Yeah. And to watching my team, you know, Nick and Matt and Gladys and JC get up to speed with Azure Synapse and the tooling inside of there and what you can do with that is, is pretty amazing. Like some of the customers we're working right now, the scenarios Again, I'd love to be able to share those stories a bit more, but it takes a little bit longer to get sign-offs to talk about them. But there's some really cool cool things that people are doing. All right, so where do people go to learn more about this? I mean, obviously, there's the Ignite website. You can go register and watch that breakout on demand. Yeah, well, I, I don't know that I could read off the whole, uh, the, the whole thing, but certainly the best place to start sort of off the top of my head, if you don't go back to Ignite and look up the BRK session, the actually really detailed blog is the one that's out on DevBlog. So if you go to Microsoft uh, Developer Blogs and you go to, uh, you know, the Microsoft 365 platform, you'll just look for Ignite 2022. There's the blog. It's all there. I think you'll probably drop me a note if you wanted to. <laughs> uh, I think it's open for comments. I'm, I'm not sure. But uh if it's not, uh, find you can find me on LinkedIn or something like that. You know, you can add comments to that blog post. That'll be interesting to see how people go with that. Well, I'll, I'll put the links in the show notes so people when they're listening to this in their podcast apps, they can easily click and, and read that because it is worth a read. And that main blog post has all the links where you can like read more about each subsection. So it's a an easy way to navigate and see what's going on. So, look, Ben, thank you for coming on. Thanks. We should really just take the podcast recording equipment to the bar once in a while and let people just get the whole oh boy get the whole story. Well, that could be quite dangerous, I guess. That would be the best, the best <laughs> podcast ever. But uh, the best, I'm sorry, the best Microsoft 365 developer go. podcast ever. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, and and oh by the way, let's say one other thing, which is that it was really nice to see Microsoft get back to live events, yeah. right? So, um, you know, I don't know that I saw a lot of folks out there that I usually see, uh, but to be sort of back wandering around in a big room full of Microsoft branded stuff, to be on stage, uh, you know, to be talking with folks again, it was pretty cool. invigorating. I can only say this in closing, which is like, I, I, I hope that for Build, uh, we do even more of the same. Yeah, me too. I, I think seeing Panos Panay from the Windows or presenting on the demo that he did with the it got rid of Bob's uh, guitar playing, so you could, all you could hear was his voice using that new um, uh, neural chip that they have in these new Surface devices, and just seeing that live was very very different to sitting, you know, at your desk at home and 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 watching watching it streamed. Um, he's a very good presenter, and it did make me realize that you know there is something about seeing things performed live versus just especially pre-recorded, like seeing something live live is a big benefit to pre-recorded content. 
Agreed. And, you know, and I think, you know, we need to get back to that point where, hey, we're meeting our customers. We are, you know, our PMs are out. Uh, everybody sort of has that, you know, we rebuild some of the community that's been lost. And, and that's not to say that our virtual stuff hasn't been doing really well. That we haven't gotten a huge amount of reach out of it and stuff like that. But it was nice to see everybody. Yeah. I, I'm just so glad that all the third party events are going on across the globe, just seeing that the SPCs in a few few weeks and the ClabCons and all those different bits and pieces, M365 EDU. And it's just great that there's people getting out there and presenting to our customer base. So just a big thank you for all the speakers that are getting out there. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Well, hey, it's been nice to be on the show. Thanks very much. And thank you for sponsoring the yep. show too. There we go. I best say that oh, considering yeah, you yeah. fund the of editing. Course. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was my price is doing this uh, <laughs> podcast every 18 yeah, months. That's- yeah. Okay. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 